is the World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hi, everyone. This is uh, James here. And this is Jane. And welcome to the first ever The World of Work podcast. Woo. Woo. I feel like that deserves a woo. Um, <laughs> or a wow. Maybe that's a wow, right? Yeah, that would be far more on brand. <laughs> um, so every week we're going to have a chat with you guys. We're going to release another episode. And in that episode, we're going to talk about another factor around the world of work. We're going to talk about things around what it's like to be in an organization, what it's like to initiate and deliver change in an organization, how HR functions work, how change programs work, um, what it takes to succeed at work, and a range of things like that broadly in the uh, sort of HR world of work space. That's right. Not only that, but throughout uh, all of the podcasts, we're going to be sharing our own experiences and journey. Um, Both of us are on a continuing uh, pilgrimage, if you will, (laughs) to learn... Thank you. (laughs) Where Um, are we To learn more about uh, how everyone can be influential in the workplace and make a better place to work for people. Yeah, that's right. And in terms of like the, the people that we're hoping to help with this or share knowledge with, I think it's really anyone involved in work. I mean, maybe it's people who are starting careers um, in HR or people who are already involved in careers but don't really know much about the HR side of things. Or maybe even like students looking to learn about work from maybe a sort of MBA type perspective or other early stage entry routes. Yeah, and I, I, I think I think the other the other group of people that I would uh, hope would like to listen would be uh, new managers and managers yeah. of bigger teams and also leaders of organisations because I think yeah. uh, for me increasingly uh, leadership teams and CEOs are recognising that by creating a healthy world of work where people are engaged and, and are happy and it's a productive workplace... They have better organisations. Yeah, you that. do. Yeah, it's, it's a real win-win, isn't it? I mean, it's better for the people working there and it's better for the outcome of your organisation. Yeah. So hello to all of you, whichever group you fit into. So what is our topic for today, James? What's our topic for today? Well, our topic for today and our very first ever topic is something that's quite close to my heart. It's um, organisational development. Um, Ooh, that sounds like a jargon buster moment. It me. is. It's a bit. It's a bit jargony, but... It's a funny thing. So, so what we'll do over the course of this episode is we'll tell you a little bit about what organizational development means. Um, we'll tell you a little bit about the background of organizational development, some of its history. We'll tell you a little bit about how sort of organizational development programs that are delivered in organizations work, what good looks like for those, how to, how to make sure that you've got one of those. And then we'll share a little bit from, I guess, some of our careers uh, speaking about how, um, how we've delivered organizational development or where we've seen it in, in workplaces. Uh, but before we do that, should we say a little bit about who we are and where we're coming from and why people might care? That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Should I go first? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So my name's Jane Stewart and I have spent around two decades working in non-profit and sports organizations. Mm-hmm. And increasingly over the last few years, I found myself working more and more in the people and processes area. So how to make yeah, it yeah. A, a really great place to work and how to make it a, a place to work that's productive versus uh on the actual products and services itself yeah. and you know what i found out i really like it it's uh i feel like i'm having a bigger impact and it's yeah. much more interesting to me 
So uh, I decided to take the plunge this year and scarily went back to uni part-time. So oh, I'm nice. now a what are you student. Doing? What, what are you studying? Um, I'm studying for my master's in organizational psychology. Oh, talk about jargon buster, right? Like, what's yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll come on to that. Yeah, we'll do that uh, There's definitely some joyful uh, phraseology that I'm learning that yeah. I didn't know before. And I also uh, am a consultant and help some really great small nonprofits at the moment uh, be better places for their people, which uh, is one of my favorite things to do. Cool. Um, yeah, so my background's a bit different, but hopefully I've got a bit of credibility through it as well, just in a different way. Uh, so I started my career as an accountant. Yay! Go numbers, go Excel. Um, so I trained as a chartered accountant with Ernst & Young and did the sort of consultancy piece through them for a while and worked in fairly core finance roles. And then I moved into project management at large financial services firms delivering mainly sort of finance change programs. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, right, what does that have to do with people? And the answer is not very much. Um, but through that, I started to work on projects where we brought teams together and started to look at uh, building new teams, new finance teams, new operating models and things like that, integrating businesses. Um, and I liked that. And then from that, I jumped over into roles really looking at improving performance, improving engagement, improving things like well-being and functionality of teams and introducing new ways of working. And that really kind of whetted my appetite to work more in the, uh, the sort of HR type space. Um, so that's my background. And in terms of location, I mean, I've worked in uh, all around the UK and I've worked around a lot of Europe as well, um, admittedly for short stints, but a lot of time in Scotland, a lot of time in London, Bristol, Paris, Frankfurt, Amsterdam, Harlem, a bit of Madrid. You know, any cities you want to name that you're friendly with? So I'd like I'd like to claim that I've worked all the way around the world, and I have. All the way around the world. But yeah, I would also acknowledge that the jobs have been somewhat different from uh, from organisational development. Although I would say that I learned as much about management from a bar owner in nice. Outback Australia than I did uh, in any of my uh, more corporate-esque jobs yeah. in some of the bigger non-profits I work for. And before we move on to the first topic, I think it's worth mentioning that you guys can follow us online. Uh, we have a website and it is it's the wowpodcast.org the w-o-w podcast that is wow we like that of course that stands for the world of work podcast so that's our website yeah and you can get in touch with us there or you can follow us on twitter at the wow podcast nice and easy yeah so wow let's go for it so James where do you want to start with organizational development so organizational development um why don't we start with trying to explain what it possibly means i mean i think i think there have been a lot of different definitions out there um and i know it's a bit of prep you looked at some do you want to tell us a little bit about how you tried to break down some of those definitions yeah well i think you're uh, you're hiding your modesty because we both uh, had a look and uh, certainly the bit that i thought was really interesting was how many of them fit three or four genres so uh, a bit of background we both love definitions we think it really helps um, but we also quite enjoyed looking at these definitions because some of them, maybe they were trying to just cover too much ground or they were trying to be too jargony. So we're going to share a few of those with you. Um, there's a great set of definitions that are all list-based, where mm-hmm. effectively the writer has decided to try and list everything that could ever possibly be considered organisational development. I'll give yeah. you some examples. Okay. Uh, so the Australian HR Institute, shout out to our friends down under, um, Their definition is, whilst there is no single definition of organisational development, it is commonly known to be the practice of changing people and organisations for positive growth. In practice, OD can take on many forms and typical OD activities can include some of the following. Team building, organisational assessment, career development, training, e-learning, coaching, innovation, leadership development, talent management and change management. So that's pretty much 
everything yeah, I'm in Yeah, I'm tired even after that. Right? That's like everything that's not a specific process like paying people's payroll or something, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty much... Uh, there's a few of those around the list-based ones. Um, I think the, the trends that I would pick out is the really good ones understand that they need to articulate the role of people in the workplace. So University of Pennsylvania has a great one. Um, the theory and practice dedicated to exploring the knowledge and effectiveness of people to accomplish more successful organisational change and performance. Which is, you know, it's long, but I, I like it. I think it's, um, most importantly, it recognises that organisational development is about people. Yeah, I really like that. And a theme that might pop up over time as we talk about this is that I tend to think that organisations really are about people. I mean, I know there are organisations that produce different things and have different specialisms, but fundamentally, a lot of the organisations that I've experienced working in, I think you do as well, are really about a collection of people and how people work well together. Um, And I really think the effectiveness of people and teams is one of the the most powerful competitive advantages any organisation can have. So I love the people aspect of that one. Yeah, I think um, quite often people get angry about organisations as things. And I think they're just groups of people. They're just groups of people making decisions the best way they can. Yeah, that whole legal entity separation is just a funny different thing. I mean, it's it's really a collection of people. Exactly. So building on that, uh, the other type of definition that I came across was the one where they have basically made it so broad that they're trying to cover everything. Uh, yeah. So CIPD UK, the practice of adapting, improving and evolving as an organisation so that it can grow or advance. Now, I'm going to hang my hat out here and say that is not only organisational development. Yeah. Um, it's it's a lovely thing, catch-all. Yeah. But let's face it, there are a whole host of things that go on in organisations, not least things like technological progress yeah, that will totally. define uh, how they grow in advance. But but certainly organisational development is one way. Yeah, now, I mean, I'm, improving an organisation, I mean, that's a pretty big statement, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And absolutely, it's one of the massive ways that you can. Yeah, but it's by definitely improving the people, not. Yeah, right? of in course. Predominantly. And the way that people relate to each other and yeah, the way yeah, people yeah, make yeah, decisions yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. But there's a big difference between that and it being the exhaustive. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, like you said earlier, you can improve an organization with technology quite easily. You can chuck in whatever faster servers that'll improve a supply of to your customers or even internally, and that's not really organization development in my mind. Absolutely. Now I'm gonna. There's one other type of definition that we came across, and I, I, I'm I'm gonna lay it out there, James. You found it. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. let you share it. Oh, you can let me share it. Okay. I think it's probably my favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite as well. It's hands down my favorite, and it's an organization that. Um, it's kind of a fun one. Anyway, this is uh, in the UK. It's the National Health Service. And their definition of organizational development is... Da-da-da. Organizational development is an evolving field of practice that has many definitions. Rather than assuming that there is one magic definition that will work in every situation, we suggest a deeper understanding of what organizational development means to you in the context of your organization. So, right, I mean, basically what they've said is you go figure it out. Um and that's kind of a conclusion I, we've reached from I, I really like ones. the practical nature of that it's basically saying it doesn't matter let's just get on with the job yeah. let's just it, get on with it it kind of does doesn't it um, so for those of you who don't know uh, British culture as well that is that is brilliantly um, sums up our National Health Service which is you guys go talk about it we'll just get the job done yeah so uh, I think that might be the one that's going on my wall um, and we'll, we'll share some of the other funny ones that uh, well I thought they were funny some of them on our Twitter feed later, because I think it would be really useful. Yeah, and of course, if you guys have got a definition, if anyone's listening out there who has a definition, feel free to fire it in. I think at some point we'd like to come up with our own definition. Um, and maybe once we get there, we can share that 
on the website as well and maybe we'll actually have an agreement on on what organizational development actually means that'll be kind of cool and actually just a challenge to our listeners if any of you actually have organizational development words in your title yeah we want to hear from you and we want to hear what your company's definition is because i think there's increasingly a large number of people who have organizational development in their title or od and I'm not 100% sure everyone agrees on what that is. You know so what? So I think it would be cool. I've spoken to quite a few people in the last six months who've got organizational development in their job title. Um, and a lot of them just suddenly kind of woke up one day and it's like they've been dragged through the, the closet into Narnia and suddenly now they're organizational development practitioners and they don't really necessarily even know what it means at that starting position. So I think there probably are a lot of people out there who are trying to figure it out as well. I mean, you are actually building quite a good evidence base for the NHS definition oh. right now, which is that there is no magic definition, <laughs> yeah, get yeah. over it. Yeah, but, but like, I mean, at its core, between us, it's, it, we kind of agree it's about helping change the way that people in an organisation work and, and how they can be effective in achieving the goals of the organisation. Yeah, I think, um, for me, I often talk about, it's about improving people and processes. Yeah. Such that um, organisations can be effective. Yeah, yeah. And they can do what they want to do and they can deliver what they want to deliver and people can we can get the most out of people in the best way possible yeah yeah that seems about right so should we run through a little bit about the background of od maybe and see if we can figure out i'm gonna hand over to you you're you're the history buff in this place (laughs) i'm a history buff if anyone knew me earlier they would think that was funny younger in my life i was um well let's say i've never been buff how about that um but i certainly wasn't all that strong from a history perspective so um, I did I did go back and look a little bit and try and learn a little bit about the history of OD because uh, it's something that's actually really quite interesting. And, you know, as we said, organizational development based on those definitions is loosely around helping an organization get better through, you know, the way that the people in it work together. And organizational development really kind of has a founding father. Um, and it's not that long ago, uh, a guy called Kurt Lewin in the US and in the sort of 30s and 40s uh, working at MIT started building out some work that ended up leading into uh, defining what organizational development is. Um, And as he started, um, he really started coming out of a field of psychology and organizational psychology. And what he started looking at uh, in his language was group dynamics. And he wasn't really looking at the business space so much initially, but it was how do groups of people work together? And what are the dynamics between people? What causes stress? What causes efficiency? What causes effectiveness? How can we make sure people communicate well? And he started looking at that kind of stuff. Um, And and he also started looking at something called action research, which is basically looking at how do we we make changes to the way these environments work while we're involved in them, while while we're in a group, how do we make changes to that and see what the impacts are? Um, And started to to try and look at how we can influence and change the way that, that dynamics work. Um, and when was, he, when was he doing that research? So he was doing stuff often in like, uh, well, he started a bit earlier, but most of his work was in the 30s and 40s. Um, and he actually died in 47. Which I love because, you know, you would think this was a new area. Yeah, and it's so it's topical now. About. It's kind of like zeitgeisty at the minute. Um, but he died in 47 and he never actually used the phrase organizational development in his lifetime. That wasn't his work. He just, um, he just worked in this field of basically group or organizational psychology, trying to look at how people work together. Um, and, and that was really a starting, starting piece there. Um, like I said, he, he never did uh, use the phrase. And, and the phrase came out a couple of years later. Um, and there was somebody actually called uh, Richard Beckhart, um, uh, who, who ended up using the phrase organizational development. And what he was doing is he was building on some of the group psychology stuff and starting to think about it actually in an organization. 
So he was working at General Mills, which is one of the big steel companies in the US, and he was working there doing some experiments in the 50s and 60s uh, with somebody called Douglas McGregor, and they were looking at how reorganization works effectively. So taking organizational psychology work and bringing it into an industrial uh, environment to see how it works. Um, and he actually is the one that started to apply the, the name organizational development to it. Um, and interestingly, both he um, and Kurt Levin were working at MIT when they published their work in relation to this. So can we blame MIT for all the jargon? We can blame MIT for a lot of things, I think, even, <laughs> even beyond this. The good this. stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty interesting place. Um, so that kind of gets us to the end of the work that Richard Beckwart was doing around, you know, bringing organisational psychology work into, into places like General Mills. Um, at the same time that he was doing that, some other organisations were uh, starting to do similar stuff, but starting to look a little bit more at you know, interventions and how do you change the way that organizations work and how can you introduce, you know, change agents and introduce programs of work that maybe lead to improvements in, uh, in organizational psychology. And a couple of leading places doing this were the uh, Tavistock Institute um, here in the UK and then the National Training Laboratories in the US. And they started to really look at the role of change agents and how do you actually, you know, initiate these changes to get a better outcome. So, um, so that was going on in the 50s and 60s. Um, and then when we get to the late 60s, you know, having worked on how you introduce changes and try and start changes in organizations, people got more interested in how do you measure the effectiveness of changes. So it's really in the late 60s that you start to get things like engagement surveys um, and other survey-based techniques to look at the effectiveness of these interventions. Which kind of blows my mind, if I'm honest, because yeah. the idea that things like engagement surveys were around in the 60s yeah, yeah. just seems incredibly far-fetched mm. but they were and actually we're not all these things that we think are new they're yeah, really not yeah. and I think they're new for some people now yeah. but really this stuff's been around for a long time but I guess in some ways the 60s was a long time ago right I mean it's like one of those things um, 60s was definitely a long time ago I promise you <laughs> yeah um, so that's what was going on there I started to be able to measure these impacts um, and you know there's a whole growth now of, of survey methods around how you do this kind of stuff but fundamentally, you know, measuring this stuff is hard and we might cover it at another point, but, you know, survey before you do an intervention, do an intervention, survey afterward, try and prove what you've done is, is the standard way to do that. Um, and that really started back then. And people did that and they started through that process they were working at, you know, how do you intervene and affect a, a specific part of an organization? And then as you got a bit later in the 80s, another sort of a hero of organizational development, somebody called Edgar Schein, uh, who was also from MIT, he started to look at um, at sort of systems thinking type stuff, and we can maybe do an, an episode on systems thinking at some point. Um, but systems thinking basically says that you know an organization is really a collection of individual systems that all feed together. So you can't really change one bit without considering the overall you know end to end collection of systems that affect an organization. Which seems really obvious, right, when you think about it now. Yeah, it does. But, I mean, even now organizations are focusing on things that don't consider the, the systemic impact of the broader structures they work within. Um, so he started thinking, uh, Edgar, um, Edgar Schein started thinking a little bit more in that space and started to try and bring OD concepts uh, into the systemic structure of organizations and looking at changing the overall, I guess, systems architecture, not from an IT perspective, but from the way that, um, the, the way that you know, complex systems of, of human behavior interact in organizations. And started to have some good, uh, good outcomes there. And like I said, maybe we'll we'll touch on that as as another uh, episode. Um, so that kind of got us up into the eighties, and then really since then, you know, ODs become even more uh, important and more popular as a concept. Um, you know, the world 
as everyone says and tells you, it gets more complex, it gets more interconnected. And also, I think people are constantly looking for that extra gain, that extra little efficiency, that extra competitive advantage. And through doing that, everyone starts to focus on as many areas as they can, and organizational development's really become one of those competitive um, competitive advantages. And over the last five years, I've certainly seen a huge growth in the actual phrase itself. Um, you know, it's, it's not a phrase that I'd heard when I started working in this type of area, but, you know, increasingly you see that name pop up everywhere. Um, so I think that's kind of a whistle-stop tour of the background. And I think, <coughs> pardon me, when we were speaking a little while ago, Jane, you, you said something that I thought was really interesting, which is, you know, as you start to get the rise of industrialization and with that the rise of the sort of larger bureaucracies where you get lots of offices hammered together in big populations, then, you know, you, you've got these larger groups of people that need to work together. And when you've got larger groups of people working on complicated stuff, it becomes really increasingly important that they do that well. And, you know, you've got like um, Dunbar's number, you know, I don't know if you know that, that's like um, a view on how many people you can work together with effectively without having, mm. you know, structures and stuff. And it's like 100 people you can work with and manage those social relations. But when you get beyond that, uh, as a lot of businesses started to get in, you know, the, the start of the 20th century and into the middle, then, you know, there's much more demand for tools and techniques to really ensure that large groups of people work together. So I think the growth of those um, denser office-based industries really probably was a great sort of, um, you know, a, a fertile bed soil in which the blossoming ideas of our work Wow, that is, that is a gardening analogy that I'm going to have to think about. Um, I, think, I think economies of scale is always an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, there are two ways to dealing with the concept that you can interact with 100 people and create meaningful to work. One is not to have anything more than 100 people. So I've worked with people who believe in breaking their businesses down into effectively independent units that work together as if they're external. And the other is to try and find ways to create better, uh, cohesive, and try and increase that number so they're more effective. And I think think it's really interesting because you're right, uh, industrialization had... Economies of scale was so clear around things like production lines. So if you look at yeah. producing cars and stuff, it became really obvious to have one person do one job. Yeah. And what you see, I suspect, is the rise of organisational development as a concept rather than as the work it is. Um, once there was enough people in one place that you could employ someone just to worry about that. And I think, so my background is working with small organisations, all of whom pretty much are under, certainly under 150, 200 people. Yeah. And what I see is uh, trends mm-hmm. in big organisations and smaller organisations trying to lift them wholesale rather yeah, than understanding yeah, yeah, they need yeah, to apply yeah. them and differently. Adapt it to, to and it. for me, that's that's about the difference between the trend of organisational development versus what it really is, which is making better opportunities for people and processes to be more efficient, to work mm-hmm. more effectively. Um, and I think, I, you know, it's, it's where the jargon comes mm. for me. It's where people get really excited. And, and you know the guy. We all know that guy, right? He's the guy in the office whose job title's changed every time a trend has come along. Yeah, and yeah. he's always the guy who's got the, the ear of someone senior. And it's because he's ferociously reading up on what's going to be the next yeah, thing. Yeah, he gets all the emails from whoever it happens to yeah, be. Yeah, and it's going to be, oh, yeah, this is the next big thing. And last week it was leadership, and this week it's yeah, organization development. Yeah, now I'm a transformational leader in a VUCA environment or whatever. I feel like if you did a, uh, a word search on people's profiles on LinkedIn against their job title and what word they're using to describe themselves, yeah, I think yeah, we would yeah. have so much fun around this. Because yeah, I think organizational really development is absolutely uh, at the heart of it. 
But it's because it matters and it's it really important. Yeah. And the more we move towards uh, AI and technology, mm-hmm. the more it's going to matter. Because yeah. the more the difference between organizations is not going to be the technology because everyone's going to have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all outsourced or it's all uniform or something. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it's really interesting to know. Thank you for all of that. I didn't know pretty much any of that coming into it. Yeah. And firstly, I'm delighted to hear that the UK at least had a little stake yeah. with Tavistock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also... I think it's really important to realise that there's very few new ideas. Yeah. And it's all about how you yeah. take those, make them applicable to your workplace. Yeah. But just when we were chatting, there something popped into my mind that maybe we should think about at some point in the future. Um, and when I think about organisational development and where it's really helpful and a beneficial tool, it's where the types of jobs that people are doing are um, sort of creative or self-directed or intellectual, right? So, So for me organizational development is less beneficial in some ways when you've got a particularly rote or highly uh, repetitive, highly structured, more manual process. See, whereas I would totally disagree. Yeah, okay, So that's cool. really interesting. So um, I was having this conversation with someone only okay. last night. Yeah. Uh, who They work in a factory. Yeah. And the factory organization think they are doing a really good job because they mm-hmm. offer living wage versus minimum wage. But actually what happens really quickly is it is such a tiny difference that once it's done, the culture becomes everything. So yeah, when okay. people have limited skills mm-hmm. and the only thing that they have to exercise and differential is their ability to work hard yeah. and work effectively and consistently over a period, they will choose an organization based on whether they want to be in that room. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I think is really so interesting. So I, I get that sort of, like, I guess there's the two different sides of it. There's the, what's the benefit for the individual and what's the benefit for your organization. So I think that within organizations that are you know, more procedural like that and more manual, um, that that things like creativity are less important to some extent. So you free up people's intellectual capacity, that sort of mental load and stuff in uh, intellectual jobs, and it's got a different impact. So, so I think they're different. But you lose staff, and that's what's... Oh, absolutely, see, that's yeah, the, that's yeah, yeah. the really funny thing that I always... Yeah, I totally get that, and I, I haven't really thought about that. And, and not, do you know what? Neither did I until last night. Yeah. Um, I think, um, particularly, and I think... Uh, this may age terribly but yeah. Brexit is coming to yeah, Britain yeah. and there is going to be uh, less uh, workers available at certain levels yeah, yeah, and yeah, so totally. there's going to be a really interesting thing where I suspect that uh, those workers that are needed and yes technology is taking some of those jobs yeah. but, but those workers that are needed are going to have all sorts of challenges and they're going yeah, to be able yeah. to pick and choose yeah 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 so so I guess as a differentiator for an employer it's great to have a great culture and a great yeah. ways of working because that'll help you get the people in um, I think that with the rise of the knowledge economy, the, the way that you get people to work really translates into better outcomes, or sorry, better output from them. So I guess there are two sides um, to that, and, and you can see the advantages of things mm. like organizational development in both areas. Um, so in short, organizational development is for everyone, people. That's what we're saying. Yeah. doesn't matter whether you're working yeah. in a factory or you are working at high-end AI. Yeah. Uh, you all still care about whether it's a coffee culture. Yeah. So... so what next? Uh, so do we want to talk about like how OD programs work and, and what we think makes an OD program? Well, so, yeah, I think that would be a really good idea because effectively we've talked about organisational development. We've tried to give you a flavour of, give people a flavour of, of what people think organisational development is. And I think yeah. we're all, if we're honest, the jury's still out, but it's about yeah, yeah, yeah. making things better know, for people. But we can't necessarily yeah. articulate it too much. Uh, like the NHS says, there's no magic definition. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've talked a little bit about where it's come from, but I think 
what's most relevant probably for the people in the workplace is what does it look like? Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. How, how do you know if your organisation has a, a current organisation development plan, yeah. if they're working towards how it, what's the programme, yeah. what does it look like? What does it... And I guess to some extent it's good to know, you know, if you're working in an organisation, it's good to know what people are trying to do with an organisational development programme, how you can spot it, how you can maybe contribute to it or... All those types of things. Yeah, well. I think certainly if you're listening to this podcast, you must care a little bit about your workplace. Yeah, and I think yeah, yeah. the easiest way to get involved in your workplace with shaping what that place is, mm. is by understanding what their organisational plan is. They might have another name for it, but ultimately how they're trying to move the organisation forward for its people and its process. Yeah, and, and on that actually, one thing that just popped into my mind is, you know, a lot of people when they're in their careers in the workplace want to have a little bit of something extra to do or, or, or a way to get involved in some larger programs because it gives them visibility and opportunity to make a difference and things like that. And, you know, with more technical programs, say like an IT change program, you can't just really put your hand up and get involved and say, oh, these are extracting, transforming and loading of data because nobody cares about I that. I don't right? know what two of those words are. Yeah, yeah. It's an ETL process. We could talk about that later. Yeah. No, let's not. This is <laughs> no, not an not. IT podcast before you all turn No, no, no. And I've got nothing to do with IT anyway, really. Um, but my point is that you can't really volunteer to get involved because Absolutely. those are very special things. But with things like an OD program, a great way to sort of grow your skill set as somebody in an organization is to put your hand up and get involved in things. And OD programs are a great way to do that. You know, people are always looking for a bit of voluntary support, looking for opinion, looking for engagement with. Absolutely. And I, you know, my experience is that pretty much doesn't matter how small the organization, there is some form of either employee forum or there's yeah, an opportunity yeah. for employees to step forward and talk about and speak on behalf of their colleagues. Yeah, These are the kind yeah. of opportunities that will give you a door in yeah. to helping look at and understand the organizational development process in your organization. Yeah. Cool. So what are those programs like? What do they have in common? Oh, that's a fascinating question. Yeah. So firstly, we're going to caveat this just like we have every time, which is everyone does it differently. Yeah. Um, and for, for every, pretty much every organization, it, it covers slightly different functional areas. Um Although the biggest and the most robust tend to cover pretty much everything except for the products and services they're actually producing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess probably quite a good place to start is maybe a practical example of what a program might look like. Yeah, okay. So uh, we, uh, when I've worked on organizational uh, development programs, they've tended to be triggered by a external influence that's quite common in non-profits so for mm -hmm. example there's been a funding change or there's been uh come to the end of a lifetime of a strategy um and it's an opportunity to reflect on where the organization is and where it wants to go and and the organization development program is how are we going to get the people the infrastructure there so that it can do that new job so there's probably a few things that it covers i know you had uh, because i know you love a list james you, uh, you no. actually tried to whittle it down into sort of a, a five-stop list, I think, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. One day I'll share my um, top five list of lists with you and I'll share my top five favourite lists of everything. But in the meantime... Man, if, if the top five records isn't that top five list, I'll be sad. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm going to maybe pick off the first couple of things because yeah. they're the things that I always get really worked up about. Yeah. And um, the first one is about uh, strategy. Um Partially, I get worked up about this because I write strategies for a living for some organisations, but um, it's really important that there's a reason for an organisational development programme totally. and that it is a reason that aligns really closely with the organisation's yeah. existing strategy. Yeah. And, you know, a strategy doesn't have to be a 55-page document. It might be on the back of a uh, an envelope mm -hmm. and it might be the owner's understanding of how he's going to get from 
uh, a quarter of a million company, pound company to mm-hmm. a half a million pound company. But it will be a series of um, tactics that will get him to yeah. that place. And the organizational development program has to fit really neatly with that strategy and has to be about getting the organization to a place where it can achieve that strategy. Yeah. So that's, no, that's the first thing. For so, me. so like for me, just a slightly different background example of that is um, the way financial services is changing. And then the way that I phrase that, or it's just popped into my head, is that mm. really organizational development should enable the achievement of a strategy, right? That's so exactly you, it. You've got all these things, but you've, you've got to enable that. So within financial services, um, where I've been working, there's been, as with many industries, this huge shift towards digital and digitization. Mm-hmm. And if you're running an organization with, say, 100,000 people and you want to become a digital leader, right, and that's your future strategy, you know that's the way it's going, you need to maximize your use of IT, you need to be cost competitive, you need to provide great services. How are you going to do that? Well, you know, to do that and to achieve that strategy, you need people with digital capabilities, right? So you need to shift the way that your organization sees itself. You need to shift the pace at which it works. You need to shift the core capabilities so that you can have the people and the skills and the ways of working that let you be a digital leader in financial services. So that strategic alignment is essential. So strategy comes first, and then your OD program enables the achievement of that, I'd say. Yeah, and I think I think quite often, um, particularly in uh, goods-based or retail-based organisations, mm. you quite often see people worrying about how they're going to get their product or their service to that stage. Yeah. So they sit yeah, there and yeah. go, right, we know our products and our services need to be here. Totally. Uh, so that's what we need to do. And, you know, they've got their research and development department thinking about how, how they're going to manufacture, how are they going to scale, mm-hmm. what are they going to do, what's it going to look like, what's their offer going to be to the market. And somewhere along the line, there seems to be a, a slight misunderstanding about whose job it is to think about how you get that organization ready yeah. to be able to deliver yeah, that yeah, product yeah. and services. And, and again, back in the FS, uh, financial services world, right? If you go to a totally digital world, but you don't have people who can... Um, develop new digital offerings quickly, then you're never going to be able to sustain that future piece. Absolutely. And I think what's really interesting is sometimes you go the other way. So what astounds me without question is the idea that uh, organisations that are fundamentally not digital organisations, so a bank is not a digital organisation, the digitisation is the, the, the method that they're going to use to get technology is the method with which they're going to engage their customers. Yeah, they're a bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're um, money, money business, and right? And so what I always find really interesting is your IT team and your digital uh, development team are not going to know regulations. They're not going to know what customers want. And they shouldn't. It's not their job. Their job is to work with those people. And I think one of the things that I think very early on in the digitization period people lost out on was understanding what, what they needed to do was take people that existed already in those jobs and were doing a process yeah, yeah. and make them ask the right questions so that instead of digitizing a process they were taking that process and making it different and more fit for purpose yeah and so i think we've learned that now but it <laughs> the industry took a while to do yeah, it. yeah yeah and i don't think everyone's learned it you know? no and without so. question uh, i would say non-profits and charity sector and, and the public sector are still struggling with that yeah. hugely um, so strategy is number one, number, and it would be number two and number three. If I was only allowed yeah, three yeah, things, yeah, yeah, it would be fine. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the second one for me of what makes an OD program is that it's long term. So it'll give you a practical experience. Um, the most recent strategy I was working on is a five to ten year document. Now, I get criticised routinely for this conversation. It's like, well, how can you know what the world's going to be like in ten years? Yeah. I don't. That's not yeah, what a strategy yeah. is. A strategy is about what is our position going to be. 
Um, and the organisations that I work with have been around for sometimes hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. So they need to be thinking far longer term than what we're going to be doing in the next two years about Snapchat. Yeah. Because that quite often uh, can become very distracting for what is the bigger mission and what, you know, looking forward, what are going to be the big issues that these organisations are going to face? Yeah. Um, I think there are different views on that, right? I mean, like, um, certainly in my industry, strategy cycles seem to be, or, or are consistently about three years. Mm-hmm. So it's a three-year strategy cycle, broadly is what it is. Um, but at the same time that you're looking at that three-year cycle, in the back of your mind, you're thinking about longer-term trends as well and trying to structure to succeed in, in that future piece. And and I, I have those different conversations as well, saying, you know, you can't work that long. The pace of change is going faster. You need to be able to pivot quickly or, you know, all these types of phrases, right? Pivot, but, another brilliant, yeah, brilliant yeah, job yeah. work. Let's do it. Um, so... You know, my kind of response to that is you need to think about the future, but you need to remain agile <laughs> so that you can respond to changes in the market, changes in technology, changes in regulation. I think we should stop playing jargon bingo at some point. Yeah, okay, we can issue cards um, to... I think, and, and you're right, I guess my concern is that um, with CEOs moving around far more frequently yeah. and leaving sometimes organisations mid-transformation process... If people are always only working to three years, and I think that's the problem with some people are only working to that, yeah. um, you end up in a scenario where effectively you're no different to various governments around the West mm. at the moment, which is that they're living till the next election. Yeah. And someone's got to start looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, and, and I think organisations that do that, as well as obviously working in a more operational sense to three years, will be the ones that are most successful. And I think that's particularly true uh, in my sector because we're talking about you know, poverty is not going to go away in three years. Yeah, yeah. And so how we approach that and what tools we use might be a two to three year plan, but but why you're doing it and how you're going to do it and what strategies and tactics you're going to use to try and address that problem is probably not going to change that much. And I think some of the distinction in, in, in you know, the, the time spans that you look at come back to your stakeholder mix as well. And if you've got Absolutely. active, aggressive stakeholders or shareholders trying to, look at your quarterly returns and you've got a different approach to strategy and a different need to progress in, in a different timeline. Yeah, we had, I'll tell you, definitely a subject for another day. I was talking to a friend of mine who should remain nameless who works in one of the big four consultancies. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were discussing whether it is better to work in a business that is privately owned yeah. or on, on the uh, stock market. Please, and, yeah. you know, it's the grass We should ask Elon thing. Musk, shouldn't we, right? Then... Well, mm, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. He might rather than ask him. I think he's. I think he's a great <laughs> argument for one side of that. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. But certainly, I think um, it's interesting. So I work with member organisations, and, yeah. and the average, uh, the last organisation I worked with, the average length of membership. If you knock out everyone who doesn't renew in the first year, the average length of membership is like fifteen years. You've got to be thinking bigger. Yeah, it's, if it's you're talking time. about a shareholding situation, yeah, yeah. as particularly where there is a. Uh, uh, FMCG mm-hmm. market I think yeah it's different isn't it but mm. I, but whatever it is whatever is long term in your industry yeah long term is the, the, yeah whatever yeah, is yeah. long for your industry yeah. that's what um, yeah, yeah. organisational development program, you know yeah. it's not about single interventions yeah and it's long term but it, there's that bit of willingness to change as well right so you do it you aim for the future you aim for the long term and then sometimes you've got to change because you know stuff happens in the world doesn't it stuff does happen stuff, James stuff. If, <laughs> if, if there's one thing I've learned about organisational development stuff is always happening to throw you off track. maybe that's the, the, the key takeaway for the audience is that stuff happens how about that is there... yeah I, be, I, I believe you've referred to it earlier with your your, your slightly jargonistic but I get it uh, agile working you've got to be yeah, agile in this yeah. and you've got to pivot um <laughs> Things change. Have a plan Just, yeah. and things change. There's a... Be willing to pivot in an agile way, I think. Wow. Well. 
that's special. Um, so my, actually the best learning I got was from event management. So I spent a few years working in event management in sport and good event managers have great plans such that when the event happens, everyone is getting on with it and the event manager's sole job is to deal with the stuff that happens that wasn't meant to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, um, I think really good organizational development leadership is that. Yeah. Have a great plan. And then there is someone who is just sitting on the hill going, oh, that doesn't look good. What's coming over the hill? Let's yeah, sort it. Yeah, yeah, let's respond. Um, but as we all know, that's that's a lovely situation to be in, but we're all stretched and we're yeah, all on headcount and all yeah, sorts yeah. of things. So number one, strategy. Number two, longer term. Yep. Uh, so why don't you take us through the, uh, yeah, okay. the last three? Okay, so a couple of the bits that I, I think are relevant for um, for a good OD program. And for me, number three is it's multidisciplinary. So you know when you went through your list of... Um, you know, list of definitions and mm-hmm. some of them were list based and they, they cover a whole wide range of things. I think um, I think that that's really relevant for organizational development programs. I think really what you're trying to do is you're trying to change the way that a group of people work together, the way that an organization works, for practices, ways of working and all that. And I think that there are multiple factors that contribute to this. Um, we talked earlier about, you know, systems thinking and the fact that organizations are, you know, complex interwoven systems of things. And I think to change that, you need to or to change it successfully and effectively, you need to be multidisciplinary in your approach. So things like, you know, some leadership development for your senior people to help them um, improve. Um, Broader management training feels like part of that. Looking at things like even your organizational structures um, and how you structure within your hierarchies the relationships. I think that's part of it. Um, I think even things like systems come into it. So if you, you know, if you want to address things like communication, you might want to bring in, say, um, you know, an enterprise social media tool or something like that to help people communicate. Even something like Slack is a great way to do it. That's a technological thing that you can bring in, but it affects your organizational communication and structuring, and it's in doing that part of your organizational development package. So for me, bringing all these things together uh, is important for for a big um, organizational development program. I think it's that sort of holistic approach and, and covering all the bases, I'd say. So multidisciplinary is number three for me. Um, Number four for me is collaborative. And I think this is something that breaks down a lot in organizations. And really what I mean by uh, by this is that, you know, to, to really change an organization, you need to take people with you, right? So when you're talking about organization development, you're, you're talking about the way that people work together. And if you're gonna change that, you need to listen to them. You need to understand what's working now, what isn't working now, what needs to change. Um, and you need to take people with you on whatever that journey is that you're gonna go down. So I think, you know, collaborative is a really important factor um, in this. And I think we've probably both seen examples of programs where somebody in an ivory tower says, hmm, you know, I think everybody should work in this different way and we should change factor X. God damn that ivory tower. Yeah, it it, doesn't it? And they're all busy trying to change factor X, but they've never spoken to everybody that says, you know what, we don't care about factor X. We've got all these other problems. We've got Y and Z down here. Right, so why are you caring about X? That doesn't even really matter. And if you don't listen to the people who are close to that coal face that we talked about earlier, you're never going to really work it out. I uh, um, I remember a scenario where they were trying to make an equality and diversity policy to help women um, in the workplace. Yeah. And uh, it it was brilliant. It was it was not getting any traction, and no one could understand why. And it turned out because basically everyone in the organisation was hacked off that the girls' toilets was another building. Great. Yeah, and no one had, it just not occurred to anyone that they were like well you're being hypocrites because until you sort that out we and we have to go out and put our coats on every time we want to go to the bathroom 
we're really not going to get involved yeah. in any of your supposed equality. And I was like, you just, it's, it's a brilliant example of how you have to look at the big picture. Yeah. I, I had a, in that sort of, um, in a similar space, I helped create and deliver a, a female leadership program, right? Helping with all those types of things. And one of the things that came up was we sort of like, you know, we were told to go and build this program. We built it out. We started delivering it. And we got sort of mixed feedback from it. And so I, I went out and started to ask people a little bit about, you know, what's going on. And some of the feedback I got was, why do you possibly think I want to progress? Why are you trying to get me to progress? I, I, I just don't want to do this. Like, I'm really happy where I am. And now I feel pressured. And now I feel like I'm underachieving because you're telling me I need to progress. So just kind of leave me alone. Do you know, it's really interesting because um, I had a conversation off the record with some um, someone from the army a few years ago. And they were mm. saying they were they, they over recruited leaders and they needed a few followers, yeah. which I just thought was a brilliant concept. It's this idea and it's a classic example of a trend. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. everyone needs to be a leader in the traditional sense. Everyone can be a leader for their own um, yeah their own priorities but you know and leader leader means so many things the organization doesn't need a thousand leaders yeah, and one follower yeah. we need one or two great leaders yeah. and so that word followership is out there now right I mean, oh is it yeah i'm so behind yeah, yeah followership right you need to be a good followership anyway so that collaborative thing's really important mm-hmm. you know you, you get things like co-creation co-production getting people involved it helps understand what the real needs of an organization are, are and it helps ensure that people are engaged from an early stage people get ownership you get more um, effective and lasting outcomes <coughs> so that's number four so we, we've had strategy uh, longer term focus multidisciplinary and then number five I think is is you know a, almost a product of all of those which is that for me organizational development programs of work need to be bespoke um, you know if you're looking at a specific organization strategic drivers you're looking at the um, the specific situation, the specific current starting position that an organization has, um, and you're looking at the, the distinct blend of structure uh, and individuals and challenges in the organization. So if you're going to get from you know where you are now in an organization to where that organization needs to be, you kind of need a tailored approach um, because all organizations are different. You know, you get some some similarities, but every organization is going to have its own challenge. Is so I think um, I think a good program should be bespoke. And all too often, I think you see people going in with a sort of, you know, like their toolbox, they like go in, they open up their toolbox and they say, hmm, collaboration and they drop out collaboration tool number 1047 on your desk and say, here we go. And people kind of don't always respond. Yeah. That, and I'm, so. I'm going to, I'm going to pick this one up because I do a bit of consultancy and yeah. I see it quite a lot. Um, it's because it's expensive to do it properly. It's, it's you know, even it's even in a small organization, it is time out of people's day to sit down and tell you what their problem, and it frustrates them because they've told yeah, everyone yeah. a million times. So, at some point, we should probably have a chat between about sort of internal consultant versus external and oh. the cost of upskilling and where we see all that. That stuff, but... that alone is a fascinating day. Yeah. That's another chat for another day. Although it will begin to feel like a job interview, I suspect. <laughs> um, okay, so let's just recap on those yeah. top five because I think a top five is always a good thing to have. I love a list. Uh, and you've sold me on this one. So when we're talking about what makes uh, an organizational development program, we talk about it being strategically aligned and uh, we talk about it being a longer term piece of work, something that's multidisciplinary. It's a collaborative piece of work. Um, it absolutely is bespoke. It's tailored to the organization that it's fitting. Uh, and ultimately, it's about helping that organization be best equipped to reach its strategic goals. Yeah. Great. There you go. You now know what an organizational development program is, people. If you have different opinions about what should be on that list, let us know. Yeah. Yeah, if anything strikes you as us just chatting rubbish. Yeah, and don't forget, you can reach us on Twitter at The Wow Podcast, or you can reach us on our our website. Yeah, that's uh, thewowpodcast.org. 
Um, and you can email us at jj at thewowpodcast.org. So feel free to get in touch. Um, so yeah, so what have we done so far? So, so we've said a little bit about the podcast, said a little bit about who we are, um, talked a little bit about what organizational development is, running you through a bit of a history of organizational development, talked a little bit about what constitutes an organizational development program, you know, what, what the factors are, what might make a good um, OD program. One thing I'll say, actually, we didn't touch on earlier, but I think is key to the success, and maybe later we'll talk about success factors. You know, for an organizational development program to be successful, it really needs sponsorship and buy-in from the top. So you, you sometimes see that dichotomy of, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And if you get that at an organizational level, it all just falls down anyway. Yes, and I think... Um, um, I think uh, authenticity and, and credibility are big words at the moment, but uh, then and you could think they were trendy. It's never not it's been in timeless, fashion. Isn't it? It's yeah. never not been in fashion yeah, to be yeah, who yeah. you're meant to be and yeah. to not be fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I don't believe there was ever a time where everyone's like, "Yeah, look at that guy. He puts on a really good show of being something he is." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not a thing, it's, unless you believe Madman, which well, I'm not convinced anyone yeah, we don't know like. Much about that, yeah. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about what makes an OD program. We, we mentioned earlier we might uh, share a few experiences from yeah. the trenches, <laughs> yeah. shall we say. Um, I think, you know, from my side, I, I was just going to talk a little bit about some of the types of things that I've been involved in that are broadly OD programs. I'm not going to go into too much detail because um, I think we can cover some of them a bit later. But I've got a couple of examples of, of sort of larger OD programs that I've been in. I guess the first one that was quite interesting was... Um, the integration and simplification of two banks, effectively. So I worked on a program that was integrating two legacy banks from a, a merged uh, banking group um, in Europe. So we had Corporate Bank A operating in a range of European countries, Corporate Bank B operating in a range of European countries, and now we need to have a combined entity, right? So so the, the work that I did was very much in the, uh, the finance area, so I did you know technical stuff, but... Um, financial technical stuff but also I was responsible for ensuring that we brought together the finance function to these two banks so how do you do that right I mean you get different people and we had people in different locations different ways of working different structures different priorities different um, contractual terms of reference around their employment um, different incentive structures um, and you know to add to that we had people working in different countries with different cultural ways of working I mean if you're trying to get um, say some of the Dutch colleagues that we have to work effectively with some of the Spanish colleagues that we have, you'll find that there's just different um, inherent cultural aspects. Yeah, way beyond time zones. Way beyond time zones, indeed. So, you know, so there's a whole piece of work around how do you combine those two? And for me, that's kind of an organizational development piece of work. So we needed to look at things like premises and footprints and how do we integrate the physical locations. We needed to look at things like um, the organizational designs. So what is our current structure um, what's our future gonna, structure going to look like? We needed to look at things like operating models. So what are the roles and responsibilities? How do they split out? And then we needed to look at things like the teams um, and what makes a good team and then starting to, to introduce um, you know, work, work streams that would help bring teams together to create a more cohesive way of working, the whole team building side of things. Um, so that's an example of, of, for me, an OD program is bringing those two businesses together. Um, another one I've got is around uh, you, you know, for a larger UK function, say, you know, 4,000 people in a functional team, um, looking at a particularly low set of engagement and, I guess, a, an overly large team, how do you increase engagement, uh, create, um, you know, a, a better sense of identity 
and at the same time try and shrink and improve the efficiency across a larger group of, of people. So, you know, this is a multi-year stream of uh, collection of streams of work looking at that. And again, that's introducing new ways of working, um, introducing uh, new teams, restructuring, changing footprints, all that kind of stuff feeding together and combining in this instance with leadership training programs as well to make sure that the leaders are in a good place for that. Um, and then the last example I was going to touch on is around um, the sort of future-proofing of an organization or, or, you know, preparing for the future. So this is around, uh, and I touched earlier on digitization. So again, in a, in, in a sort of functional perspective, if you're looking to become a digital leader in a financial services industry, you need your functional areas to become, um, you know, capable of dealing with the increased uh, or changing job, job demands of digitization. So how do you consider the future capability needs of your organization? And then from that, how do you transition from where you are to a new capability mix? So essentially, what is the overall capability structure I have at the minute? Where do I need it to be in three years' time? How do I get from A to B? And how do I, while I'm making that capability transition, ensure that I deliver consistently, but also ensure that I maintain engagement, maintain buy-in, listen to people, all that kind of stuff. So those are some examples of early programs that I've, I've been involved yeah, in. Yeah, they're really, they're really great examples. And I think um, what they show is that generally... And there are massive exceptions and probably your last one's a little bit more like that. But generally they're in response to something that's happening external to the organisation. Yeah. It's quite rare. Well, even, even the last one is, but the last yeah, one's like absolutely. technology, right? Like technology yeah. and in financial services, your competition is now, it is your Amazons, it's your Googles, yeah. it's all the people with the payment mechanisms. And, the and I think, and I think um, all too often it's a response, you know, and I would mm. love to see a world where organisational development wasn't just in response yeah. to specific change and rather was a, Oh God, I can't believe I'm going to say it, but more agile approach. Um, Good work. Uh, and I guess my experience of OD is very different um, in the sense that all the issues are the same, but that the frame and the context is different. Mm. So I work in an industry that is specifically designed not to make profit. We're not allowed to make too much profit, which you know blows the mind of half the people I know. Yeah. Um, but we are quite often anchored to funders. Mm-hmm. and those funders have expectations and so as those funders change uh, so do the expectations so for example for a long period I worked with organisations that the funder really didn't want to invest at all in back office uh, in other words in yeah. the people and the processes mm-hmm. and the challenge was if you weren't uh, savvy enough to structure your uh, funding applications you would end up with a very unhappy, unmotivated and very badly equipped Finance team, HR team, and is that like the split IT between team. restricted and unrestricted funding? Is that um, the I I suspect that might be where it's got its roots. Certainly, that's one part. I'm kind of so you need, yeah, no, no. Work, so yeah. you no, you're absolutely right. So unrestricted income, you can pl- you can spend anywhere. But more specifically, some of the organisations I work with have very big relationships with single funders. Fine. And as that single funder is swayed by the government, so the government policy changes. So at the yeah, moment, okay. they're really all about investing in those back offices. So it's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're going and they're really doing their stuff. And I think one of the best examples I saw was um, I've worked with some really brilliant CEOs, and uh, I worked with this one CEO. And part of the strategy um, that we were developing, it was becoming really clear from consultation with all our stakeholders that everyone was sick and tired of being reliant on single funders mm-hmm. and that we needed yeah, to yeah, re- yeah. reweight it. And good. I think that's really common. Um, but but I think that, that I had to see the strength of feeling. Yeah. That, uh, and they wanted to, and they were prepared to take some hits for it so uh, he we wrote the new strategy and the strategy had quite an aggressive financial 
uh, ambition to reduce that reliance to a third uh, of allocated of income. And it was about, it was somewhere around two thirds at one point, so that's a huge mm. amount of money. Mm. And, you know, he went out and he got me to ask people, what do they need? What do they need to yeah. do, to deliver what we want to deliver without that money? What do you need as tools? What do you need in your workplace? What staff do we need? What are the roles? What are, what are the resources that we need? And from there, we built uh, an ideal scenario. What are the tools and what are the people and what are the processes? Yeah, correct. And then we figured out how we had to get from one to the other. And that, yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. where the leadership team needs to be sitting down and going, okay, this is what uh, paradise looks like. We, we can't afford that and we can't mm. get there. But, but how, what is the closest we can get with what we've got? And how can we make it work? And I think, you know, you go back to your top five list and what was extraordinary was utterly wedded so simplistically to the strategy because it was about how do we get to this end point. Yeah. Um, and it was truly collaborative. I've, I don't think it would have worked in any other organisation because in no other organisation uh, was there a leadership team that was that prepared to get stuck into figuring out how it would yeah. work. That's but also share it. So key, yeah. yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, um, and you know what? They're still going through that journey. But their retention's up, their engagement's up, people care about what they're doing, and they believe that their leadership team believe in them and believe in their opinions. You know, that stuff makes such a difference. And one thing I'd say is, you know, of the early programs I've done, some of them have had such huge impacts on things like engagement scores. We talked about surveys earlier. I mean, you, you measure this stuff through surveys, and you've got great impacts on that. But you also get not just that, you know, sort of quantified or proxy quantified through survey information, you get great sort of messages from people as well so I think it's great that you've got some examples of that yeah I had a I'm just going to say one story I, yeah. I had a call this morning and uh, we were talking about I was talking with someone who is figuring out their own career crossroads and they said you know they said whatever happens my manager believes in me and he cares about me and that matters yeah. and I was like well I challenge you to go I felt like saying well I challenge you to go into any other organisation and be guaranteed to find a manager that you can talk that high yeah, of. Yeah, um, And it's a good thing. Yeah. It's a really good thing. We need more people like that. And you, we've all heard those stats. I mean, I could, uh, I'll make up a number, right? But like, you know, 35% of people would turn down a 40% pay rise if it meant they had to stay with their same boss, right? Stuff like that. There's lots of figures out there, right? I mean, people leave because of their relationships with their um, leaders in some instances. So, you know, organizational development can really change. Without that. question, every job I've taken has been because of my boss. Yeah, yeah. Because I've believed that even if the job isn't 100% right for me, they will figure it out with me to make it yeah, work yeah. so that I can leave the organization the most. Value you yeah. And, and you know that collaborative approach, they'll collaborate with you and you'll be part of yeah. that journey. And that's good. Um, When you were talking earlier about some of those programs, you said something like uh, our program was helping us get from here to there. And maybe that's kind of almost a definition of organizational development. You know, helping... <gasps> I get, love yeah, that. It's kind of good, isn't it? It is good. Yeah, it is good. It, yeah. Anyway. Well done. Well spotted. I, like... I I just strang some words together. Um, <laughs> but I like that. It is. It's about getting from here to there, and it's about there being better than here. Yeah. Exactly. Rich so, that strategic goal. There you go. NHS solved. Yeah. There we go. Um, cool. So. Okay. So I guess there are a couple of little examples of what ODE is and some of the programs that we've done, and I think that's probably all we're really going to talk about today. I mean, I don't really know. But we've got that much else on the list, I guess. Uh, you know, I was just going to wrap up. Because there is a list, list pe- by the way, people, you can't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, look. Oh, listy, listy, listy. Right. Um, so I guess just to run through, and don't worry, there, there are many other things on the list for the future as well. Um, 
So today, you know, an introduction, you know, welcome to the World of Work podcast, a little bit about us, um, focusing on organizational development. And, and I guess, you know, with that sort of ending definition about getting from here to there, it just feels like organizational development is a s- sort of overarching factor for the world of work. I mean, it helps make the world of work better. And so, you know, for that basis, it felt like a, a field. It felt like a really good starting point for us. Um, so we've touched a little bit about uh, touched on a little bit um, what the definitions are for organizational development. We've run through some of the history. So, you know, a real growth in the 20th century coming out of organizational psychology. Pretty interesting. Um, we've talked about what makes a good OD program. We've had some, you know, five main points there talking about its strategic, its long term, its collaborative, um, good stuff like that. It's bespoke and it's multifunctional. It's bespoke and it's multifunctional. Yeah, go team. That was teamwork right there. Um, and we've touched a little bit on some examples, so um, from smaller charitable organizations, even to a huge behemoth, you know, 100,000 uh, employee services, uh, financial services organizations, everyone's doing that. Um, so I guess that's kind of what we've been through. Uh, any top tips, if you were going to have any messages for anyone, and, you know, if there are people out there listening who are um, thinking about the world of work and, and how organizational development relates to it, is there anything that you'd say that would help them maybe explore organizational development a bit more or, or get a bit closer to it? I think that's a really good question. Um, I think my advice to anyone, and it do, actually this doesn't matter whether you are involved currently in organizational development, HR leadership, or whether you're just in a place of work and you want to make it better or you want to be involved in that journey. Um, my, my best piece of advice would be to get involved in conversations. Yeah. So if there are opportunities to feed into stuff, do it. If there is an opportunity to have a chat with someone who works in that area, have that conversation. If you can join up a, an employee forum, great. If you've got opinions, find a way to constructively share them. Totally. Because, um, you know, I think the more that we all take ownership of what it's like for us at work, the, yeah. the more better chance we've got of having yeah. a better workplace. And, you know, so many people are like, oh, you know, if I fill in the employee survey, they'll know that I'm the only, whatever, 32-year-old black, white, female man. And they in, do, right? Yeah, everyone just, says that, right? But they do, right? But but they don't care. I that's mean, the point. Yeah, you know, people can find you. I mean, that segmentation does it. But nobody cares. It's about the aggregate and it's about the message. So I guess my point is, you know, get involved in that stuff and... and uh, share your opinion because you're never going to make things better unless you speak about it. Um, you've got to you've got to understand your real starting position before things can be better. Um, I think that's really true. I think you have to understand where you are and where you want to get to, and that that's true whether it's about you and your relationship with the workplace or whether that's a much wider what the workplace you're trying to create for the yeah, people yeah. that you're looking after and your personal development as well. Then we'll touch on coaching and stuff. Oh, the joys of yeah. personal development. Um, I guess <clears throat> one thing that for me I'd say is worth doing for everyone you know thinking about this type of stuff from an organizational development perspective is um, just try and step back sometimes and be mindful about your actions um, and this is sort of my hippie hat coming on here De Bono's hippie hat is a special one that I like to bring James's hippie hat moment <laughs> um, but you know you really should be mindful of what you do in the workplace because every action I think that you take in a workplace and every interaction you have with somebody else affects not just them, but also you and, and those around you. So just be conscious of, of how you contribute um, and how your behaviors contribute to the way it feels in the workplace. And, and I think if everyone's just a bit more conscious of the impact that they have on others, then you know even just through that awareness piece, you can probably create some better, better environments. So yeah, step back, be a bit mindful about what you're doing. 
I think that's a really good piece of advice. I think um, it always strikes me that the minute that an organisation employs someone to do something, everyone else says, oh, it's not my problem anymore. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? That's just not the case. Yeah, every, every we action. all have to be responsible for the workplace mm-hmm. that we create. Yeah. It's the only way it's going to be a great place. Yeah, and things like, I mean, you know, we're going to touch on emotional intelligence next time, but things like, um, you know, emotions are contagious and you can just see it ripple through. If you're a leader and you come in with a, a frown on that face and you're miserable and, you know, that stuff just cascades. So you, you'll kind of snap a bit at somebody and they'll go home and kick the dog or whatever the analogy is. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll disseminate that similar negativity throughout the organization. Yeah, it's, so. an, ex- it's an extraordinary thing. I, I remember working on site and it was the biggest, biggest event I'd ever worked on. Mm. And I, I was, you know, it was stressful. I was dealing with maybe two and a half thousand volunteers. I yeah. was worried about it. There were kids on site, a lot of them. Um, anyway, we were working with some some young people from the Prince's Trust, yeah. uh, and they were they were uh, getting work experience. And one of them came up to me on the third day, and she said, "She said, I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude, but you look really really unhappy and really stressed. Yeah, I think you've got the best job in the world, isn't it? Yeah, fun? That's and cool. it just blew my doors off. Yeah. I was like, Yeah, I do. Yeah, I have, yeah, yeah. Why I am I literally the best job in the world? Yeah. I'm in in the outdoors dealing with three thousand kids playing sport. Great." Why on earth am I not happy? Yeah. And also, how is how is that being seen? That yeah, I, how yeah, bad yeah, an yeah. advert is that yeah, for my my industry? Yeah. So yeah, I would. I, you know what? That's that's my tip. I'm changing to yours. That's a great tip. <laughs> um, cool. All right. So any any last words? Anything else you want to say? We... No, I think it's probably time to close us out. Yeah, let's uh, sign out. So yeah, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, when we start exposing our true emotions, yeah. uh, have yeah. a great time at work. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.